Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. To continue this morning diving into this series, You Asked For It. Um, Over Easter, we asked you guys, what would you guys like to hear about? And you guys submitted some really great responses. Uh, Today, we get to dive into the topic of the final say. Uh, So if you guys have your programs, go ahead and pull them out. Um, I also just want to take a moment to welcome everyone online joining us today. We're glad you're here. We're going to dive into the story of the final say. Who has the final say or authority in your life? Now, authority is a topic that I have wrestled with my entire life. And as a young man, my parents brought me up saying, hey, you need to respect and obey the authorities in your life. And then there was the young man in me that's wanting to rebel and be my own authority. Um, And I've got some examples of that for you this morning. Um, Fifth grade, this is a very prominent memory for me. Uh, My class was just being the worst. They were talking, they weren't listening to the teacher. And I was sitting there quietly, I was listening, I was obeying, and my teacher just got fed up. She said, all right, that's it. The next person who talks is being sent to the office. And again, I had been quiet that whole time. The moment she said that, for some reason I just blinked out, so I turned to my friend and I said something, and immediately it was, Micah, go to the office. And I was like, but okay. So I was wrestling because I was like, I was being obedient, And I stepped out of line once, and I was the one getting sent to the office. But I was wrestling with what she said. See, my teacher said, go to the office. So I thought, well, there's only five minutes until class is over. So I got up. I walked out. I grabbed all my stuff, walked through the hallways. And as I reached the office, there was a little bit of a wall right before the window, and it had some chairs outside of it. So I got to the office. I sat down in those chairs, and I thought, you know, I'm at the office. I went to the office but I knew that my teacher had meant go speak to someone at the office. But that's not what she told me. So I sat down, I sat at the office, and I waited for the bell to ring, and then I just left. Um, And so I was like, my teacher should have said, go to the principal or go speak to someone at the office. So I just sat down on the outside, and so I was technically obedient. But I really wasn't following what my teacher wanted for me. Or there was another time, similar vein, I was a freshman or sophomore in high school. And my school had a school uniform. Your shorts had to be hemmed and pleated. They couldn't be frayed at the bottom. But a lot of kids were getting away with uniform stuff, so I, wait, I wore these shorts with frays on the bottom. And the Spanish teacher across the hall, I took French, so I didn't know her. The Spanish teacher walks up to me, looks at my shorts and says, you know, you should go to the office because you're out of uniform. And then she walks away. And I sat there, and again, morally, I'm like, my, te- my parents taught me to obey authorities, to obey teachers. The last thing I want is to get in trouble and go to the office. So I sat there, and I wrestled with it, and I thought, hmm, she said should. That's a recommendation. If she wanted me to get in trouble, she would have written me up and said, go to the office or go to the principal, you're out of uniform. But all she said was, you should go to the office. 
So I sat there and I wrestled with it because morally I knew what she meant, but also she walked away. So obviously she didn't care that much. So I took it as a recommendation and I thought, you know, thank you for that recommendation. Maybe that would be the better thing to do. You didn't tell me to, so I'm not going to go. Um, and that's how I've been for a lot of my life. Uh, growing up here at Vanguard, I had two incredible friends. They're still some of my best friends to this day, but they were a little bit more on the wild side. They loved to act out. They loved to push boundaries. Um, and so I sat and I watched them and I'm like, you guys are getting in trouble for pushing the boundaries. If you push the boundaries to here and I just go to here, I'm not going to get in trouble because you guys will be the ones getting in trouble. So I always made sure that I was just that much better behaved than the other two so that I wouldn't get in trouble, but I could still push the boundaries. I've wrestled with authority my entire life because I want to be in charge. God created me to be a leader. And a lot of times that means I don't like people leading over me. And that's something that I struggle with. I always wanted to be the team captain on my sports teams. I always wanted to be the one put in charge when the teacher left the room. I've always enjoyed being in an authority. And so we're going to wrestle with that question today of what has authority in your life? So I wrestled with, do I obey these teachers? Because my parents were my authority and they taught me to obey authority. Um, but as we dive in today, if you guys will turn to Romans 1, 18 through 25 with me. Romans 1, 18 through 25 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as, as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. As we look at this, it turns out that that's a trait common to humanity to want to be in charge. Paul is saying that people for all generations have taken the truth about God and decided to worship the creature rather than the creator. And as I look at my own life, this is so evident for me. Every step of the way I go, God, I know I'm supposed to follow you, but my own flesh says that this will be better for me. My own flesh desires this over following you. And then I have this tension of who has the ultimate say in my life? Does God get the ultimate say? Do I get the ultimate say? Genesis 3, 4 through 5 says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. That first temptation was you get to be in control. 
God doesn't need to be on the throne in your life. You get to. And that is something that we all desire to some extent, is to be able to be in charge of our own lives. One of the things that people fear the most is not having control of their lives, of their situations, and putting God on the throne is saying that I'm not in control. So as we wrestle with these questions, the you asked for it, one of the reasons that I really wanted to take on the final say or addressing the conversation of biblical authority is because every question we ask really hinges on what is your final authority. We want to be like God. We want to be in charge. Um, but because of the fall, we all want to rebel against God's plans and desires for us. So the question for us today is what has final say over your life? What has final say over your life? Some people like to turn to science because it can be proven what's true. And so as long as science says it's true, then it must be true. And if it agrees with science, then it agrees for my life. Some people turn to experts similarly to science. It's because they know what they're talking about. The doctor told me this, so I'm going to follow him. For me, growing up, one of the final authorities in my life was my parents because they're the ones who raised me and taught me. For a lot of people today, it's what are your feelings? Your feelings have to be the final say in your life because if it feels right, it must be right. What I want to challenge you with today is at the end of the day, everything is a logical fallacy for final authority. Everything is circular reasoning. Well, why is science the final answer? Because science says so. Why are your parents the final answer? Because I said so, as my parents often said to me. Why are you the final authority for your life? Because it feels right, because I say so, because it feels right to me. But I want to propose to you guys today that our final authority should be the Bible. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, that is the correct Bible answer is because the Bible says so. But at the end of the day, every final authority is because it claims itself to be true. So I want to ask you today, point number one is everyone has a final authority. What's yours? Or to make it more personal for you this morning, if you're taking notes, right? What's mine? What is my final authority? If our sin and temptation is, I want to be on the throne. I want to be like God. I want to be in charge. What has the final authority in your life? And I don't want you to just write this down. I want you to actually think about this question. How do you make your decisions for your life? What has the final authority to tell you what's true, what's right, and what's wrong? We've all heard that saying that whatever's true for you is true for you. Or you just do whatever feels right for you. Or even there's no absolute truth, which that one always cracks me up because that's an absolute. There's no absolutes. Well, you seem pretty absolute about that statement. There has to be some sort of solid absolute truth. So if we're going to live our lives, I want to make sure that my life is lined up with what is true. And I, as I said earlier, I'm going to propose to you guys that the Bible is truth and that by following it, it's going to lead to human flourishing. I love and care about each of you guys deeply. 
but nowhere near compared to the amount that Jesus cares for you. Jesus loves us so deeply and he cares for, Christ, for human flourishing. Only Christianity truly leads to human flourishing. If you want to live a life that's full of love and joy and peace, we want to submit our lives to God's word so that we can live how God intended for us. And only then can we find any sort of fulfillment. That's how I want my life to look. So as we look at this question of what has the final say, as we wrestled with the questions last week on the LGBTQ community, Kelly led us back to the Bible of what does the Bible say? Because the Bible should have the ultimate authority for us. Will you guys turn and look at John 2, 24 through 25 with me? John 2, 24 through 25 says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, to the people, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. This is an incredibly important statement. Jesus knows man. Jesus knows you. He created you. Look at Genesis 2.7. says, Then the Lord formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Or Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, I will make a helper fit for him. Jesus created each of you uniquely. He breathed his breath of life into you. And he has you here for a reason and a purpose today. Jesus created you. He knows what's best for you. It says, he looked at Adam and said, it's not fit for man to be alone. So he created someone to be with Adam. That's one of the reasons I had you guys greet each other today. It's not good for us to be alone. It's good for us to be plugged into the community of Christ, to know people, to have someone smile when they see you in the morning. It's not good for us to be alone. God knows what's best for us, and he's communicating that to us. Point number two for this morning is God knows what is best for us. Do you believe that today? And again, if you want to write that, to make it a little more personal. Do I truly believe this morning that God knows what's best for me? I was thinking about one of my favorite stories earlier, the Lord of the Rings. And I was thinking about the hobbits and how they love to eat. They love to eat. They have so many meals. Um, one of my favorites is always, uh, they're wandering through the wastelands and Pippin stops and he's like, what about breakfast? And Aragorn says, you've already had breakfast. Pippin's response is, we've had one, yes, but what about second breakfast? They have so many meals. And it just got me thinking of like, why do hobbits love to eat so much? And the answer is because J.R.R. Tolkien, the author, wrote them that way. As he was writing in his story, he created these people and gave them attributes. God is the author of our lives, of our stories. He has written your entire story and he knows what's best for you. The hobbits knew that they loved to eat and they cared about good food because the author wrote that for them. And so if a hobbit just decided not to eat, he'd be going against his very own nature. 
And he might be saying, this might be good for me, but it's against his nature. So often, again, because of the fall, our flesh wrestles with what's actually good for us. And we might be created to have lots of meals like the hobbits. And we might say, oh, but maybe I just need to have the two meals a day because I think that's what's best for me. But God knows what's best for us because he created us. Now, the hobbits is a silly example, but there's so much more and deeper to that. There's so many questions that we today as a society are wrestling with. Like we talked about last week, do I get to decide what's best for me because I feel like it? Or do we say, no, God, you created me so you know what's best for me. Am I going to submit to what God has for me because he knows what's best? Or am I going to say, I get to be my own authority because it feels right? And what I've found is that what feels right for me in the moment, long-term, doesn't always play out. In college, I loved, I loved my schedule. My first semester freshman year, I was done by 12.30 every day. And every day I would come home, I would watch a movie, and then I would take a nap, and then I would wake up, and I would eat dinner, and then I would hang out with friends, and then it'd be midnight, and I'd say, oh, maybe I should have started my homework already. And every day I did this over and over and over because in the moment, it felt right to me because I wanted to take the nap rather than face my own responsibility of doing homework. And every day at 2 a.m., I'd be going, why did I put it off again? Because what felt right for me in the moment wasn't actually good for me in the long run. I love that God is sovereign, that he knows our futures, that he made us so he knows us and he can say, hey, right now in this moment, I know it might feel right to you, but I'm telling you, I can see the whole picture. And if you choose to follow my plan and my will for your life, it's gonna be such a more beautiful story than you could have ever planned for yourself. And because I can't see the whole picture, I'm gonna choose to trust the person who can who tells me what is best for me. Go ahead and look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. It says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us, spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. God has spoken to us. God has spoken to our fathers through the prophets. And in these last days, he's spoken to us through Jesus. I love this passage. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. We get to know the Lord, our God, our creator. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. So when we say like, how can we know God? We can know God by looking at the sun By looking at Jesus, we get to see his exact 
nature revealed to us. A God who is impersonal and doesn't care about you isn't a God worth being in relationship with. But God said, I'm choosing to reveal myself to you. Your sin separated you from my relationship. But he sent his son to make purification for sins and then return to to rejoin God so that we can be in restored relationship. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for those things that we say, I want to be in charge of my own life. I want to make my own decisions that lead us into pain and suffering. And Jesus said, I'm going to lay down my own life so that you can be in restored relationship because I care about you. God cares about us so much. He didn't just leave us where we were at, but Jesus died for our sins, conquered sin and death, rose from the grave so that we can as well. Jesus ascended and joined the father so that one day we can ascend and join the father and live in that intimate relationship that God created us for. I am so excited for that day, but I want to focus on that. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And in these last days, he's spoken to us by the son. God is intentionally revealing himself to us and he's intentionally revealing what's best for us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That the man of God may be complete, Scripture is for our good so that we can be more like Jesus. I don't know, but for you guys, for me, so often I, want, I wander around being like, man, God, I just feel incomplete. Some days it's my purpose. God, I don't know what my purpose is yet. I don't know what you have for me long-term. And I sit there and I wonder, and I feel incomplete. Sometimes, it's saying, God, I, I'm just wrestling with depression right now. I feel incomplete, like there's parts of me missing, and I'm just in this hole of despair. And I don't even want to climb out at this point. I want to be complete in you, but there's obviously something broken or missing inside of me. And here the promise is that scripture is, so, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, which Again, we need, because if we're going to be the final authority in our lives, we're going to need to be corrected a time or two. And for training in righteousness, that the, God of, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God desires for you to be complete. He made you. He knows what's best for you. Second Peter 2, or 1, 2 Peter 1, 21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but God but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, we could enter into the whole conversation if you're aware of infallibility versus inerrancy and the small, minute details that help people decide between one and the other. But what I want you guys to hear today is that the word of God is true. God is speaking truth to you. The Bible's not lying to you. 
And people will try to say, well, I like this part of the Bible. But that part of the Bible is really hard for me to wrestle with. So I'm just going to kind of ignore it. I have a friend right now who's a professing Christian, but he calls himself along the lines of a red letter Christian. So if Jesus said it, I agree. The rest of the Bible, I don't know. There's some stuff in there that I don't like. And because I don't like it, I'm going to reject it. Again, that's putting yourself in the seat of authority and saying, I know better than God what should be in the Bible or not. But this is saying, all scripture is breathed out by God. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, if I were to write an important letter to someone, but I was going to have someone write it for me as I dictate to them, I would double check the letter to make sure it said what I meant it to say. How much more would the all-powerful God make sure that his word communicates what he wants it to communicate? God doesn't make mistakes with these scriptures that he's communicating to us. Now, are there harder parts that we have to wrestle with? Yes. Are there some questions that seem vague or unclear? Yes. Do you have to sit with a sermon on Ezekiel and say, God, what the heck are you trying to say through this temple? Yeah. There's some parts of the Bible that we have to press into the Holy Spirit for clarity on. For those of you guys who don't know, a couple months ago, I gave a sermon on the walls and gates in Ezekiel. And I sat with the Holy Spirit for at least 30 hours saying, God, what are you trying to say through this temple? What in the world could you have for your people through these walls and gates? And I wrestled and I wrestled and I wrestled. And God slowly, step by step, showed me what he had for me. And it was one of my favorite sermons I've ever given. Because I saw how God shows up through scriptures that are hard and challenging when you press in. And a lot of people will say, well, maybe we don't actually have the original manuscripts. How do we know that these other gospels shouldn't have been included in the Bible? And we can look at all of the apologetics and I spent hours starting to try to look into them and be like, man, there's so much I could say about how we can prove that the Bible is right, how we can prove uh, more accurately that we have closer manuscripts to the beginning than any other ancient text. And I thought of all of the apologetics that I could use to try to prove to you guys this morning that God's word is authoritative, that we actually have God's word, that when the church met together to canonize the Bible, they have the right scriptures. Now, if you're interested in that, please dive into it. It's so fascinating. But I want to challenge you guys this morning and say, that is out there if you want to look at it. But I want to challenge you guys to accept God at his own word this morning. Now, nature and science prove God they align with God, but I want you guys to take God at his own word today. And if you guys want to dive into some of that of how do we know that we have the actual scriptures, it's out there. I have some resources if you're interested, but will you take God at his own word today? It says, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has inspired every word of the Bible that you have. Hebrews 4, 11 through 12 says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Rest. 
that sounds so good to me right now. I want to be a person who's at rest, who's at peace, so that no one may fall away by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active. The Bible that you hold in your hands is unlike any other book ever written. Other books you can read over and over and over again. But this book, every time you read it, will be piercing to the heart, revealing your thoughts and intentions. Point number three today is God has told us what's best for us. Do you trust him? Do I trust him? Again, we established that God created us so he knows what's best for us. But now he's revealed that to us. Now we have to trust him. And I'm so thankful that we serve and love a God who loves us enough to communicate what's best for us. I'm a new dad. My daughter is nine months old. And I just keep thinking, it's taught me so much about the love of the father for us. And I keep thinking, how am I going to raise my daughter so that she knows what's best for her? How am I going to communicate to my daughter to avoid the things that are dangerous, like running out into the street? I used that illustration last sermon. How am I going to communicate to her that sticking her finger in the outlets is not good for her? So one of her favorite things right now is to try to pull out all of the plugs and try to electrocute herself. I, as her father, know what's better for her. But if I don't communicate that to her, I'm not a loving dad. God is a loving father. He doesn't just know what's best for us. He's actually communicated it. Our question now is, do we believe what God is telling us? Do we believe that he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you? I think one of the things that we miss about that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, a lot of the times, is that was written in the midst of exile. In the midst of the hurt and pain, God says, I know that I have the, I know the plans I have for you. I know what's best for you. It doesn't always seem like that. And sometimes obeying God's will can be really hard. But do we trust God when he says, I know what's best for you? Because it's one thing to know that God knows what's best for us, but do we actually trust and believe him when he says, this is what's best for you? And again, one of the reasons I wanted to wrestle with this question of biblical authority, do we submit to God's word for our lives, is because every other question is going to depend on how you answer this question today how I answer this question today. Because again, if we don't go back to scripture as the final authority, at the end of the day, what has the final say? Why does that have the final say? If it's just because it feels right to me, that's not gonna lead me anywhere healthy because just looking at my own life and my own choices, a lot of my choices lead to more unhealth. I think one of the most prominent examples for me is I've wrestled with depression since about my sophomore, junior year of high school. 
And every time I start to get depressed, I just take another step further and further and further. And every time I say, no, you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the exercise that I need. I'm going to go and I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go and I'm going to actually eat healthily rather than just skipping meals. Every time I take the right steps, God slowly brings me out of that depression. But in the moment, the last thing I want to do is take the right steps. So I just keep stepping further and further into my depression, which for me leads to great apathy. And then I just lie on the couch and be like, what's the point? I'm just going to sit here and play video games because it's numbing and I don't have to deal with the issues in my life. I'm just going to watch a movie or read a book because I don't want to wrestle with the hardness. And that's what feels right to me in the moment because making the right choice is hard. But when God says, no, I've created you to exercise. I've created you to eat healthily. I've created you to be in community with people that will bring you out of that mire. When I decide to follow God's plan for me, it works out so much better. And again, it's not always easy. I don't always just immediately come out of my depression. But when I choose to make my own decisions and follow my own wants and desires, it just leads me deeper and deeper into the depression. What has the final authority in your life today? Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 12 says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving to you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. God wants us to actually do what he tells us is best for us. And not only that, he says, I don't want you to add or to take away from what I'm giving you. See, again, like my earlier story, I was following my teacher's rules to a T. I went to the office. I thought about whether I should go to the office. The Pharisees kept adding to God's word. They were so legalistic. They said, you must rest on the Sabbath. Well, then obviously you can't even heal someone on the Sabbath. They were adding to God's words. People today are saying, did God really mean what he said in the Bible? Yes, don't take that away. God knows what's best for you. You can't keep adding to God's word or taking it away. We have to live life by the spirit. And there's some things that are hard to deal with in the Bible. There's some things that are really hard to deal with. And again, we have to sit and press into the Holy Spirit because it says the Holy Spirit was the one who wrote the Bible. The men were carried along by the Spirit as they wrote the Bible. So we should press into the Holy Spirit for discernment of what God's actually saying. Now again, I have my own wants and desires, so sometimes I have a tendency to try to read into the Bible what I want the Bible to say. But we have to be careful on how we read the Bible. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. We want to read the Bible literarily, not literally. You want to read literarily, not literally. Which means if I'm reading a poem and say something like, wow, your neck is like David's tower, which makes no sense to us, right? But it's poetry. It's not supposed to be read literally. 
The Bible has different genres. My entire life growing up, I was told over and over like, hey, this book is a book of poetry. Here's ways to read and interpret poetry. This book is prose. Here's different ways to like understand a narrative and the narrative arc. And for some reason, we seem to think that the Bible isn't literature. There are ways to read and interpret the Bible that help us understand what the authors originally meant. When we read the Bible, we want to read the Bible with the Holy Spirit first and foremost, but also with a community of believers and in line with tradition of how the church has always interpreted the Bible. We don't want to just assume our own thoughts about the Bible are correct. We want to try it with other believers to see if what we're reading lines up with the Holy Spirit. But God has spoken to us and he wants us to actually do it. Look at Psalm 19 with me. This is one of my favorite passages and one of the most challenging passages for me. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now, I want to pause right there really quickly because David is writing this about the law, about the Pentateuch. And for me, sometimes reading through Leviticus and Deuteronomy can be like, wow, there is a lot of sacrifices and blood and sometimes I get a little bit lost. And if David can sit there and say about the law, the law of the Lord is perfect, it revives my soul, how much more the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How much more does knowing the full picture revive our souls? The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Point four today is, we have to submit to God's word. If God has, knows what's best for us, he's revealed what's best for us, then we actually have to submit and do it. The question is, will you? Will I? If God has told me what's best, am I willing to submit to that and say, God, you know what's best for me? But look at some of the, those descriptions in Psalm 19. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It's true. It's more to be desired than gold. It's sweeter than honey. By learning God's word, we can keep ourselves from transgressions. Verse 14 has been one of the prayers for my life. Ever since I first read it, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, what I fix my mind on, what I fix my heart on, what I speak, will it be acceptable in your sight? Not acceptable in my own sight, not acceptable to what I think is right, but acceptable in your sight. It led to a prayer for me of, God, I want you to always be on the front of my mind and the tip of my tongue. 
God, I want you to be on the front of my mind and the tip of my tongue. Because when I start to focus on the things that I want to focus on, I start to focus on myself. I just start to lead myself down these dangerous paths where I lead myself more and more into hurt and wounds and pain. But when I say, God, I want to fix my mind on what is pleasing to you, would the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you? I start to focus on loving others better. Instead of saying, how can I serve me today? I start to say, how can I serve you today? Instead of saying, Catherine, I want more sleep. It's your turn to get up with the baby. I can say, Catherine, I'll get up with the baby this time. The meditation of my heart in the middle of the night is rarely how I can serve and love my wife. It's often how can I get the most sleep for me? But the funny thing about that is when we start to focus on me or what's best for me or letting me be the final authority, it doesn't lead to human flourishing. If you've been in relationship with anyone for any amount of time, the more you start to insist on what's best for you, the more tension and conflict there is in your, that relationship. And that's true across the board. And I started to especially see how selfish I was when I got married. And then I started to especially see how selfish I was when I had a newborn that needed me constantly. There's nothing more humbling that I've found so far. But God says, I know what's best for you. And when you get up in the middle of the night to serve and love your wife, she's happier in the morning. And when your wife is happier in the morning, you have a much better morning. (laughs) But that is what I'm talking about. God has told us what's best, what leads to human flourishing. God has told us what's best and what leads to human flourishing, but we have to choose to submit to it. We can all know that getting up in the middle of the night to serve your wife can lead to a better morning, but in the middle of the night, the last thing you want to do is actually get up and serve your wife. But what has the final authority in your life? What has the final say? How are you going to make decisions? As I walk out of here today, how am I going to make decisions to say, God, I'm presented with this situation, this scenario. Am I going to choose to say, God, you know what's best, so I'm going to submit? Or am I going to say, well, maybe science insists on this? Or am I going to say, my feelings tell me this to be true? So as we wrestle with these questions in this series, I want to ask you, wrestle with this this week. What has the final authority in your life? How are you going to make decisions? And most importantly, Are you going to submit to God's word and God's authority in your life? Or are you going to insist on your own way? One will lead to joy and flourishing. One will just lead you deeper and deeper into the hole that you've been digging for yourself. Jesus desires what's best for you. That's why he came and died for your sins. I want you guys to remember that Jesus suffered for your flourishing. He became sin so that we could become his righteousness. We get to enjoy this full life that he offers us because of his death on the cross for us. And if you guys want to experience that full life, I invite you to submit to God's final authority for you today. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I am so thankful that you love us so deeply, that you know what's best for us and that you've communicated that to us so that we can live that life that you've called us to. Thank you for your word that you've protected and provided for us that is true, that we can cling to it. 
Thank you that you have provided us ways to know that it is true. Jesus, if there's anyone in this room or watching online or listening later that is wrestling with, can I trust your word? Can I believe it to be true? Holy Spirit, would you work in them right now? Would you convict them of your truth? That you wrote these words and these words are what's best for them. And if there's a part that they're struggling with, God, would you help them to press into you? to look to you for the answer to that scripture? And would you bring community around them to help them interpret it correctly? Jesus, we're so thankful for your love and for your sacrifice to bring us back into that relationship with you. As we leave here this week, God, would you help us to submit to your authority because it's for our good and for your glory. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.